You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Okay, then I have a confession. All right. I've had a Uh, cold for two and a half weeks. uh, You're forgiven, my son. And I'm... Is that what you're was that what you're saying? No. Father, it's been uh, it's been two and a half weeks since I've confessed health. <laughs> oh man. Oh, here, here it comes. See here that? It comes. I, yeah. I can't yeah, laugh without doing laugh. the uh, 80, right. 87 year old man You're cough. trying to confess your uh your ill health. Yeah. You're cold for two and a half weeks. I think we I think it's time. We've done this podcast now for uh over a year and <laughs> yeah. um a lot of a year people and a, half, a lot of people have told us that they really appreciate our seven axioms. Right. And that we did in the beginning and this those are part of our training. And Which, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, we'll put a link in the in the show notes. But if you haven't listened to those, it's a ten part audio yeah. series. Yeah, sign up. You can get it's free. It'll change your life. It will. It changed my life. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, the the first axiom. Remember the first axiom. This is a test. What is yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. The first axiom is uh, God is always present and at work. We haven't said this before, and don't tell Ben Hardman we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, we are essentially advocating for, I mean, that is essentially advocating for having a sacramental view yes, of reality. That's that's exactly it. That's what that means. That, that hmm. God's grace is mediated and communicated to us in ordinary, everyday means. Yeah, through the events of our lives, through the people in our lives... Yes, through the sacraments, yes. right? Like, the, the, yes, through Eucharist, yes, through baptism. And so the confession is, 
The confession is that I think we've converted people to a sacramental worldview, and they don't know it. Mm. We're sorry. Are we sorry? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not sorry. I mean, I'm Anglican, so this is this is how I roll. Uh, but but I think it's important. Yeah. When, when we when we talk about sacraments, they tend to get like these uh, mm. like doctrine or ideas, like a right. sacrament's an what idea that I argue yeah. over. Yeah. And and for me, the beauty and truth of a sacrament is that it's a it's a reality to inhabit. Mm-hmm. And this axiom, God is always present and at work, makes sacramental. Um, worldview, like, really livable for me. Yeah. So, I just wanted to point that out and connect that, because our guest today, yeah, Glenn Packiam, talks all about this yes. in, in his book. So, he's, he's got a book out. We'll, we'll talk more about it in the interview. But um, but what he's trying to do is, is do that same project. He's basically trying to connect uh, what Jesus institutes in the sacraments with our everyday lives. Yeah. How we're all blessed and broken and given. Um, so I don't really care if you if you say you believe in the sacraments. Let's yeah. just live sacramentally. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I mean, the way even I'm saying that is, uh, you don't have to believe in the sacraments because the sacraments, they believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could even say the real, like, we're saying God is present at work, and ultimately what a sacrament is, is, is a... It's a manifestation of real presence, right? That's like a that was like a big deal. Uh, so the real presence of God is available to us in the sacraments. But what that's meant to do is not contain the presence of God there, but it's meant to open us up to the reality that God is actually communicating Himself through the everyday, ordinary moments of our lives. And that that's I think what's been uh, transformative for me, hugely transformative, mm-hmm. is I grew up in a charismatic tradition, and so for me, sac like uh, we didn't really think much about sacraments. But, like, the way that we encountered God was typically in these kind of extraordinary things that would happen, right? Yes, so yes. it was it, through, through, our, through our bodies, right? It was laying on of hands and anointing with oil. Yeah, right. And singing together, in a, you know what I mean? Like, there was, there was an embodied aspect to it, and we trusted that God was present with us. But I had no way of accessing God's presence and activity in my life unless something extraordinary was happening. Mm. I was getting a prophetic word or, you know, you were slain in the spirit, spirit. Or, or, or whatever whatever it might be. Like, I had no way of sort of discerning what or God like was doing. Jeremy Riddle was giving you a back rub or something. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that that's never happened. No, but yeah, okay. yeah, no. That would be no, that would be extraordinary. Though. Yeah, it would be. It'd be right, right. Or like you know, the big the big prophet is prophesying over you. So anyway, so in the charismatic world, we have these kind of extraordinary things. I think in the evangelical world, there's other there's other things. But what we're advocating for um, in our in our training and and gravity in general is that actually God is always present. And he's always at work, which means that the everyday, ordinary moments of our lives matter way more than we realize, mm-hmm. uh, and that we don't need to kind of press into um, extraordinariness all the time in order to try to find the presence of God. But it's more about waking up than it is about uh, like God showing up. Yes, yes. We so probably anyway. should let Glenn talk about. This. I know. I'm just getting excited. Oh, I, I like your. I liked your little intro there, Matt. Yeah, got I'm, me. Got me uh, fired up. I knew it'd fire you. I know what I know what Daddy likes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. Well, hey, um, 
uh, yeah, check out the interview. Um, you you don't have to do anything. You just have to like yeah. not hit stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's coming. It's coming here in just a moment. Um, maybe also just uh, check out if you haven't uh, checked it out yet. Check out our membership community on Patreon. Mm. Uh, it's a great way to get a little bit more deeply involved uh, with us. Yeah. Um, there's an extra podcast we do called the Practitioner Podcast um, that you can get access to. Um, and also just partnering with us in the work and being able to communicate with others who are um, uh, invested in that way. Mm-hmm. So check that out. That's patreon.com slash gravity leadership. There's a link in the show notes. We're also booking workshops right now for 2020. Um, we do three different workshops. Again, link in the show notes. But um, if you're looking to kind of uh, catalyze mission and discipleship in your church yeah. uh, in the new year. I am. Um, yeah, me too. Uh, sometimes a live workshop, just getting people together is a great way to do that. Um, bringing us in, we can convene a conversation. Um, it's uh, it's not just teaching, it's not just information, uh, it's it's training. We try to get people active, mm-hmm. actively involved in a lot of that stuff, and um, mm-hmm. it's something we're passionate about and something I think that we've uh, learned how to do pretty well. So anyway, if I can advocate for that. Uh, join us or uh, hit us up there's a link in the show notes uh, to the different workshops it's gravityleadership.com slash workshops Um, this interview was a lot of fun so enjoy Glenn Packian Hey friends, uh, great to great to be with you today. My name is Ben Sternkey. Just in case you don't know um, anything about the Gravity Leadership Podcast, we do. I'm a, I'm assuming we have new uh, vis, uh, visitors and new subscribers all the time. So anyway, my, I'm Ben Sternkey. I'm here with Matt Tebby. I'm here too. And uh, we've got a great uh, we've got a guest uh, who is fast becoming a friend. Um, he's been on the uh, podcast once before. Uh, Glenn Packin's with us. Hey, Glenn. Welcome, Glenn. Hey guys. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, yeah, it was so good the first time. We thought we got to get this guy back, yeah, uh, <laughs> and talk again. Um, so, Glenn, we're going to talk about um, a little bit about a book that you've written uh, that we'll link to in the show notes. Um, but before we do that, just in case people are not familiar with you and your work and what you're up to, just give us a quick intro. Who, who are you? Where do you live? What do you find yourself doing? <laughs> please start. Please start for, uh, for elementary school. <laughs> well, okay. Actually, where were you born? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was born in Malaysia. I'm actually from Malaysia. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. And so I can start there. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, my um, we moved to the States when I was 10 years old. My parents uh, went to a Bible college in Portland, Oregon. So that was our first move to America. Okay. Lived there for three years, went back to Malaysia. I came out on my own to go to college uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, from mm-hmm. there, um, got connected with a church in Colorado Springs and I've been on staff at the same church in Colorado Springs for 19 years. Wow. So that's getting to be a little while. Um, New that's Life really, Church. I started out kind of as a worship leader, um, songwriter, worked with the college ministry and then 10 years ago or so transitioned into a teaching pastoral role, okay. was leading a service and then I'm leading now one of our offsite congregations called New Life Downtown. So we're a church of six different congregations, three different languages, four different locations. Okay. Um, so hmm. anyway, blah blah. Yeah. Can I? Yeah, that's great. Can I ask a question? That's basically just a. Uh, this should be a pre-recording conversation, but we're recording, so I'm just going to ask you. <laughs> Do you know Andrew Arndt from your time in Tulsa? 
And not only do I know Andrew Arndt from my time in Tulsa, I know Andrew Arndt from being on staff in New Life together. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew's a great guy and, yeah. uh, and a good, good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious about that. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. I've actually been to your church. This is another uh, maybe pre-recording I have too. conversation. Were we there together? That. I think we were there together. I think we were there together. We were doing some work in Colorado Springs, and we were like, we should go, because Andrew had just, no, no Andrew was wasn't on guest, staff. He was but guest he was, preaching. He was preaching for you. Was I, I, this was years ago. Auditioning. Auditioning uh, for, a new, for a new role. I think he was still in uh, Denver. Anyway. He was at Bloom still, and, yeah. and he was preaching that Sunday, and that's we right. went to hear him preach, and yeah. did a great uh, job. And, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Wow. so we've actually been uh, there to w- where you meet. Like a theater or something. There's a theater. It's like a school or what was it? A theater downtown? Where do you guys meet? Yeah, we meet at a high school downtown. Oh, okay. so you've actually been to New Life downtown, dude. We've that? been there. Yeah, yeah, we've been we've been right right there. But I think you were on vacation or something, and so probably that's why. it was yeah, the summer. Yeah. You know, yeah, pastors you don't really work in the summer. No, we don't. No, we, we don't work ever. We work one day a week. At one most. day a week, <laughs> and then during the summer, somebody else preaches. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, nobody got time for that. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> speaking of so, speaking of hashtag blessed. Yep. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of being blessed, uh, we're talking about blessed, <laughs> blessed, right. broken, and given, right? Yes, your book, uh, Glenn, is great, and it's called uh, "Blessed, Broken, Given." Um, so, b- just give us a. Just, um, why'd you write it? Why did you write yeah. this book? Yeah, like how did um, the what's the, what's the germination of this? Why did you need to write this book? Mm-hmm. So, about ten years ago, we started this service on Sunday nights at New Life that. Our pastor Brady kind of encouraged us, encouraged me to make it sort of a laboratory um, to test out some things. And he knew we were all kind of wrestling with uh, historic Christian practices. So to, to give you, you know, people some context, this is a charismatic evangelical megachurch. The Ted Haggard scandal back in 06. Mm. New senior pastor came in in 07. There was a shooting three months into his time. What? Uh, and, and yeah, wow. so so it, it had gone through in a 13-month period, scandal and then tragedy. And Brady Brady has been an amazing leader. He has helped us heal. Oh, my gosh. Could you hear that? No, dude. No. What happened? Okay. Was it, it was an like Ariana a, Grande like a, music video? It's like that a up? phone call that was coming <laughs> up. I'm so sorry. We I don't did. even know how to turn off things on my computer so that it doesn't mm, do that. That's all good. We, yeah. Where are the millennials when you need them? Yep, yep. Yeah, right. Anyway, <laughs> gosh, um, I'm telling this like serious story. I know, dude. There's a shooting and then all a shooting of a sudden. And then, yeah. Yeah. So, so Brady was an amazing leader, has been an amazing leader uh, for our church, you know, helped us kind of heal, helped us learn how to do ministry at, a, at, a, at the right pace and blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that, that we were all kind of reflecting on around 08, 09, was how do we intentionally center our church on Jesus? You know, when you come out of this place where you're you're fixated on the kind of the celebrity pastor leader and that kind of thing in 06 and you go through a tragedy, you need practices that actually anchor you and center you on Jesus. And so we were all reflecting on historic Christian worship. I was thinking about, hey, what if we did weekly communion? So he said, in this Sunday night service, why don't you test out some of these things? So we began doing weekly communion. We began saying the creed. We began saying prayers of confession together. Hmm. And that worked its way into the Sunday morning services. He began to introduce weekly communion to the the main congregation. And so here we are today, all of our worship services at New Life, all of our congregations 
uh, practice weekly communion. So the table has become a a central practice to our community as as a church. But we've discovered over the years that it's not just a practice, it's actually a paradigm. Yes, it's it a, is. It, it's mm. a paradigm for understanding our whole life with God and our whole life with one another and our whole life in the world. Mm. And uh, and so when we started New Life Downtown, our first offsite congregation, I began to kind of flesh out that table imagery and to say, look, on Sundays, we worship at the Lord's table. Uh, throughout the week, we gather and connect at one another's tables. And then every time we serve in the church, in the city, in the world, we're really preparing a table for others to meet with Jesus. So that table metaphor was a controlling metaphor for us. Mm. But then you zo- we'd zoom in a little bit closer and say, these words, blessed, broken, given, this is actually a way to understand our life with God, our life in Christ. So uh, we've been talking about this, living this out, rehearsing this language in our practice for at least seven years. Mm. And um, and so I thought, I should write about this and try yeah. to put this to paper. Yeah. yeah. That's really great, Glenn. I um, I love. I mean, I love all that. Um, I love so much of it. I mean, our our church, Matt, Matt and I, our church yeah. is called the Table, and and basically, like you just outlined the 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 way that we talk about it. Yeah. You know, the way that we talk about what what does this mean? Well, it means we gather at the Lord's table and He feeds us, and we gather mm-hmm. at one another's tables mm-hmm. and and we learn to feed one another. You know, the presence of Christ there. Yes. We learn to recognize it there, to embody it there. And then, yeah, out into the world, uh, where we, yes. um, we 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 sit at other people's tables and become guests, and um, yeah, are, can reveal the presence of Christ there. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and yes. I I think in our tradition we would call what you're describing like that's a sacramental reality. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So talk me through then. So for a lot of low church kind of evangelical Protestants, like. The like communion is sort of a edible object lesson. So, <laughs> you, you, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be. Is that am I being rude? Yeah, no, well, I don't think so. But like, that I'm is, pretty good at being rude. Yeah, well, not unintentionally. Yeah, well, I, I'm not trying to be rude. Yeah, what you're what, what you're you referring say? to is kind of a memorialist kind of view. Well, right? yeah, where it's like so remember remember some facts about Jesus's death and remember yeah. your sin. Uh huh. And as you as you eat, be thankful. Be thankful that Christ died for you. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of like yeah. I mean, I led edible... this I led this communion for yeah, me too. ten years. Yeah. And so so for 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 a lot of people, it is basically it's yeah, it's a way to recall some facts that I, I think will be good for me if I recall these facts. <laughs> right? Yeah. So what's different no, that, then about a sacramental worldview? Well, for one, um that that places sort of God's action in the past and not in the present. And so one of the one of the things we have to do at the table is to call people to three dimensions of time, the past, the present, and the future. And so at the table, we're, we're great with the remembering part. Like, we got that. I mean, you guys just said that. Um, but we miss the future part, that there's an anticipation mm. element to this, that every time we take the Lord's Supper, we are anticipating a great banquet and a great feast of which this can only be a feeble signpost and token, you know. Yeah. Um, but it reminds us that it awakens hope. But then the other element, that middle piece of time, the, the present, the encounter, yes. that's the piece that has made people nervous because they have sort of baggage with, oh, no, is this Catholic? Is this mm-hmm. transubstantiation? Even if people don't even know the word transubstantiation. They, they know it's bad. <laughs> they know it's bad. Like, there's something wrong here. But I'll, but I'll tell you what helped us is a, as a charismatic church, people were always, you know, they were familiar with the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so we were. It's, it was a very easy thing to say yes. to people, look. 
you think you can experience the Holy Spirit's presence as we play music, right? Yeah. You think we can do that when we lay on hands, right? Yes. Do you think we can do that when we anoint with oil, right? Yes. Okay. Well, this is a bread and a cup, and this is the original sort of symbols here of, of earthly things in which the Holy Spirit moves. And so the time dimension is one, hmm. but the other dimension that has to change in order to awaken a sacramental imagination is to get people thinking differently about the world and what the yes. world is. Yes. So there's a space dimension, if you will. You know, So what we tend to do with, with space is to say, earth is human space, the natural world, quote unquote, mm -hmm. and heaven is God's space, the quote unquote, supernatural yep. world. Right. So, so chapter one of Blessed, Broken, Given, I go right to, to deconstruct that kind of division of space. Yes. Um, th that that is really the product of an enlightenment worldview that wanted to put God upstairs and human beings downstairs, you know, and, and, and really what the Hebrews said in the Old Testament is the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, you know, the, mm -hmm. the whole earth is full of his glory. You have Jacob saying, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. Yes. You know? Uh, um, yes. And, and so, so into that kind of world, Jesus takes bread and says, this is my body. So mm -hmm. into a world that already expected the glory of God to be hidden in ordinary things, that already expected for the breath of God to be breathing uh, in the wind around us, mm. um, into that sort of a paradigm, Jesus says, of bread, this is my body. So we're going to be off on the wrong foot with our Eucharist theology if we don't first understand that sacramental theology challenges us to think differently about time and mm. about space. That's really well put. Um, and I especially love the the part about space being different in that like this world, part of what it means to live a sacramental worldview is that we believe that, you know, God isn't upstairs, but he's here. And yeah. the way that he communicates his presence to us is through the physical world, especially or, you know, pre preeminently through this specific practice that Jesus gave us where he promised he would be present. Hmm. You know, we said, this is my body. Um, yeah, there's a lot of resonance with, you know, I'm thinking of, um, I've been listening to podcasts from this Orthodox priest named uh, Stephen Freeman, Father okay. Stephen Freeman. I don't know if you know him, but um, but he talks a lot about this. He talks about the one-story universe, one floor versus yeah. the two-floor universe. Mm -hmm. And he talks about, you know, th that in early Christian belief, like, it was just like the Hebrews, where it was like, this is just one world and God's here. You know, and and he communicates his presence to us. Um, and he he did a little riff. It was a funny a funny riff on. You've ever heard the Mark Twain quote where he says like, you know, some some pe people ask me if I believe in infant baptism, and his his retort was, uh, believe in it. I've seen it. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean. So uh, so Father Stephen Freeman. Uh, this is a uh, this is kind of a riff on that uh, where he said like, so when you ask an Orthodox believer, do you believe in God? They can say, believe in him. I eat his flesh and drink his blood every Sunday. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and yeah, it, you know, it's yeah. it's a little bit of a crude, you know, way to sure, say it, perhaps, sure, sure. but it is real. Mm -hmm, you know, with, yeah. Within a sacramental worldview, that's actually what we're saying is real: is that in the body or in the bread and the wine, um, we actually do encounter the the risen Lord. Yes, yeah. you know. Yes, and 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 in a, in a weird way, there's two ways of sort of. Um, denying that kind of or, or rejecting that sort of paradigm. The one is the the modernist kind of notion, you know, God, I, I'll just go see Jesus is the savior of my soul and the Lord of my afterlife, you know, but right. as for now, we got to figure things out on our own and do what makes common sense and uh -huh. blah, blah, blah. 
But the other version of that, maybe more subtle, is in some extreme charismatic context where you have to sort of escape Earth to have these quote unquote supernatural experiences that's, with God. That's right. And so, I mean, I grew up in a Pentecostal environment in Malaysia and, and went to a charismatic Christian university. I'm very grateful for a lot of those um, influences in my life. But I also saw a lot of excess and, I, and a lot of the craziness came from people thinking that you had to escape this ordinary life in yes. order to have some sort of supernatural experience with God. So if you were singing a song and didn't start weeping with tears and experience goosebumps, oh, you didn't experience the presence of God, you know, yeah. or, right? Or, or if you didn't see miracles every day, then you weren't living by faith. And and we, we have to reject that kind of view because that kind of view is just as predicated on the, the enlightenment view of a two-story world right. as the modernist view is. Right. Yeah. So you're seeing Seeking in this book to desecularize Christians. Yes, yeah, that's a good way to say it. And in a very, I mean, look, we're talking very theologically here. We're using <laughs> yeah, proper yeah. terminology and all that. <laughs> the book is 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 for the ordinary the the or, yeah. ordinary person. It's written pastorally. Mm. I, I mean, I sometimes will say to people, it's sacramental theology in a very sneaky and subversive way, mm-hmm. um, because the felt need for all of us is. Do my ordinary moments really matter? Yes. Yeah. Uh, can can God really redeem the pain and brokenness in my story? Yes. And is there purpose to my life? And and those three deep longings are answered or are given a response by the movements blessed, broken, given. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, repeat those. I think that was really helpful um, to to sort of say like what you're what you're saying. So the the practical outworking of of a sacramental worldview, like you know, using all this uh, theological language, but the practical outworking is that is that it's that we are then just like the bread is and Jesus yes. is, we are blessed, broken, yes. given, and just repeat those three uh, phrases yeah. again. That was really good. The questions we have, yeah. The the question that relates to the the word blessed, the question that we have is, does my ordinary life really matter? Is it yes. really sacred? Or is it holy? Mm. And and the fact that Jesus blesses bread. Um, mm. reminds us, it kind of evokes a Genesis 1 image where God looks out over the world he's made and blesses it and mm. calls it good. Mm. And so we have to understand that you don't have to be other than what you are in order to be blessed. That, yes. even, that as a human being, uh, you are blessed. And and so in one very real sense, to be blessed is to be restoried, is to be reset yes. within the God story. Um, so let me, yeah 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 so so to be blessed and I'm I'm recalling this is another Father Stephen Freeman quote um, but um, to be blessed then is not to have something happen to you that wasn't happening before but it's to be named for who you really are to, when you bless something you are revealing its true nature. That's exactly it. And I say that. So there's three, the way the book is structured is there's three chapters under each of those words, under each of those movements. Mm. And un, one of the chapters uh, under the, the movement of blessed is a chapter called names. And yeah. it's all about, you, you know, the, the, the names that we have of ourselves and the way that God renames us and the blessing that we have in, in naming others, you know? So there's, mm. I mean, there's some great ways that shows up in Genesis from, of course, uh, God renaming Abram to to actually Hagar naming God. I mean, there's a blessing of seeing God so clearly yeah. that you name him. So anyway, there's a whole bunch That's there. That's really great. Yeah, but but, but it, I do link to Schmemann, the other Orthodox theologian yeah, that you, you know 
about that when God blesses a thing, he makes it a sign and a means of his presence. Mm. And and to name a thing is to reveal that identity. So mm. really to be blessed in Christ is to be uh, restored and restoried and, and to be renamed uh, as Beautiful. what we were made to be. Yeah. So that's blessed. Do my ordinary moments matter? Yes. <laughs> Affirmative. Uh, and broken. What's the question you're answering there? Broken was trickier because just conversationally, we use the word broken in several ways, you know, so yeah. I had to out, I had to kind of outline at least three different ways we, we experience brokenness. One mm. is the brokenness of our frailty, just, you know, kind of the Psalm, the psalmist saying he knows our frame that we are dust, yeah. you know, the yeah. frailty of who we are. Mm. There's another kind of brokenness that is about our failure. That's actually about sin and requires not just a confession of need, but a confession of failure, a confession of sin. Yes. Yeah. And and that was important to talk about, especially in our world. You know, we, we live in a context where all shame is kind of assumed to be bad shame. And I get mm. into it in the book of saying there is a kind of shame that is connected to guilt that really is meant to function like a dashboard indicator. Like this, that kind of shame is the result of a fracture, a broken relationship. Yes, mm. I've tried to talk about this. It's hard to talk about a uh, shame that isn't all bad in a Brene Brown world. You know what I mean? Oh, man. <clears throat> it's really hard. And I, I've been thinking about how do we talk about... Because um, one of the... We, shame means something in our culture, but honor really doesn't. We don't mm. We don't really have a virtue or an awareness of what honor means. Hmm. And, and honor and shame, you can't have shame without honor. Hmm. And you can't have honor without shame. Like they they sort of trade off yeah. of the absence of the other. Mm. And so I often wonder if the good shame that, I, that I'm intuiting and you're intuiting, Glenn, is, is actually just honor. And yeah. honor isn't being honored. No pun intended. It's, really good. it's like an awareness, right? So it's like an awareness that something that ought to be honored is not being honored. That's right. In, in me or you know, around me. And there's an ex- that, that experience maybe we can call shame. Interesting. It's very, it's very interesting. There's a sociologist named Randall Collins who, who did a lot of work on um, um, what he called interaction ritual chains. And it's basically how human solidarity is formed through ritual behaviors. And one of the things he talks about is shame is the breach of solidarity. So yeah. we had this ritual, we had this agreement that I would do this, you would do this, and, and on and on the dance went. And every time we kept our end up, we reinforced the bond. But anytime we failed, we actually fractured the bond. And so he, he said, sociologically, the only way to repair that is to get the offender to face the offended and to allow him to feel the weight of his wrongdoing, mm. and then he can be reintegrated into the circle. Now, that sounds a whole lot like restorative justice and lots of other conversations right. that sure. had about this. But, but in terms of dealing with our brokenness, the brokenness that comes from failure has to result in some kind of confession and removal of that shame. Mm. We don't get to self-talk our way out of this one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. So we have to, we have to face it. Um, but and that's, yeah. I think, that's, I think, part of the difference then, not to get too far afield on this, but like the toxic shame that, that kind of is the predominant cultural way that mm-hmm. we understand shame. The toxic shame, like we, we, we want to get rid of that because there is no answer for it. Right? Correct. If, the, I, the, if I dive into my toxic shame fully, like I'm, I'm dead, I'm, I disappear, I'm gone, right? Whereas like there is hope for this other kind of shame because 
I can face up to what I've done and find forgiveness. That's right. Toxic shame is in, it's not, uh, it's either disproportionate to wrongdoing mm. or disconnected from wrongdoing. Uh, so yeah, so it's good. a kind of shame that is, has no bearing on your actions, or it's a kind of shame that is disproportionately related to your actions. Like what you did was this much wrong, but what you feel is this much wrong, you know? So, yeah. so th- th- that's toxic shame. A healthy shame is where it's proportionately related to guilt, to wrongdoing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's interesting. I, so it's what, not about your identity. It's about your it's about your behavior. Yeah, and that so can be dealt with. So and, the answer of toxic shame isn't to make a virtue of shamelessness. No. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which Th- is that's was, an interesting phrase. Right? I had a I had a, a conversation uh, this week with a friend who is coming out of a toxic Christian shame environment, yeah. and his right now his answer to living away from that is to live shamelessly, mm. um, and. I don't think he's felt the uh, absence of virtue in that, that is inherent in that, but it's definitely not the toxic shame prison that he used yeah, to be in, right? Right. right. So uh, it's interesting that I think that those are the, those are the ditches yeah. in our culture. Yeah. And, and what you're trying to help us see in this, uh, in, in being broken, is that there is a, there's a shame unto like resurrection, or like there's a shame unto redemption and restoration redemption. that yeah. that we want to say it's okay to feel that but like that'll bring you to the cross but it won't bring you through the cross can i get yeah. a witness oh hey <laughs> now we're preaching well, that, that that's the key move here is that this is a brokenness that gets placed in jesus's hands this is a bread that is broken in his hands so uh, so there's a yeah. sense in which the brokenness of our failure can become a brokenness of repentance there's a mm. that's a, you shift all of a sudden from saying oh i'm broken i've messed up to lord i'm broken as in i am repenting it's psalm 51 now have yeah. mercy on me according to your unfailing mm. love so then the, the so brokenness of frailty brokenness of failure the third kind of brokenness is the brokenness that comes from just the fallenness of the world where we experience suffering and pain and it's the, it's not really connected to individual sin just right. the fact that evil has infected the world mm. um but but i what i w- say in the book is no matter what the kind of brokenness is if we place it in jesus's hands that's when grace comes rushing in. That's when redemption uh, can can mm. begin to do its work and bring something beautiful uh, out of something that um, that that was broken. Yeah, that's great. I'm still thinking about that shamelessness thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because shamelessness is the vice of the narcissist. The nar- the narcissist, and so I'm fascinated by the fact that you talk about this as a breach of of a bond of covenant. Because shamelessness all by itself strikes me as uh, I can never become aware that I've breached a bond, right? So, and that's the vice of the narcissist. Right. The narcissist is not aware that they're connected to other people yes. and does, does not really think about whether or not. And that, that produces a shamelessness where they can do a shameful thing yes. and not feel any remorse about it. That's what, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say, like, the only thing worse than toxic shame is not being able to feel shame. Yeah, they're both. I mean, mm. they're both. They're both very dangerous places to live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, anyway. and the Christian and the Christian response to that is not just an openness to God and His grace, but actually an openness to the community of of Jesus Christ, the community of yes. repentance, the community. Yes. Of, 
And I talk about that in the book. In, in fact, in each of these movements, Blessed, Broken, and Given, the, the third chapter of each movement is a communal dimension of it. Right. So that this isn't this isn't just a private exercise of saying, yes. okay, so how you know, if my brokenness were to turn to openness, then it's just Jesus and me. No, that that's not true. And you see this in one of the most intimate Psalms, Psalm 42 and 43, you know, those twin Psalms that belong together. It seems so intimate because why so downcast? Oh, my soul, you know, as the right. deer pants for the water, my soul longs for you. But a few verses in, the psalmist starts to remember this crowd of worshipers. And he says, I wish I was among that procession. Yeah. And, mm. and there's something there, I think, that speaks to us in the midst of our brokenness of sin or of suffering. In the midst of that, what we need is not just God mm. and his grace. Yes, that is the primary thing. But we need the people of God yes. to carry us, to journey with us, to, to be the... To, Catch us up in this procession mm. that will lead us to the house of God. Which is part of the sacramental part of this, yeah, right? Yes. That God communicates his presence to us, not just privately in our minds in some sort of non-physical corporal way, but he communicates his presence to us through his body, which are the people that I live with that are just as broken as me. Yeah. Exactly. But somehow in the middle of that mess, God, God's here. He's with us. Yeah. Then yeah. I just got a text from Rene Descartes, and he wants to have a word with you. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Glenn. So, like, there is, there's a re. Who? So maybe we could say this. I don't remember who first said this, but there's a remembering uh, in in the communion that that actually it flows from and maybe feeds the sacramental imagination. So we that we see in Him, we live and move and have our being. Um, it's it is a it is a we like it's hard to see that we live and move and have our being in Christ by ourselves. Yes, That's right. Maybe impossible. You know, like, yeah, yeah. We've been trying though. Yeah, yeah. We've been <laughs> right. trying. What's the, and yeah, then the, the third, third movement? Yeah. What's the third movement? What's and the the, the story the phrase you yeah. had for that? The, the the word given. So the question that maybe the, the deep longing the the wondering that we have is. Um, does my life have purpose? You know, like, can I contribute to something larger than myself? And that word given mm. um, says to us, look, in Jesus's hands, you get to be part of a story that's much bigger than you realize. You get to be given for the life of the world. Now, the implications of this are are, are serious because I, I come from a, uh, a context where a lot of youth conferences and a lot of college That's student right. conferences are like, you're, you're going to be a world changer. And yeah. you're, and I, you know what, that produced some good things in me when I was younger, but it also produced some, <laughs> some unhealthy expectations of what life was going to be like. <laughs> oh you know? man, I relate. Yep. And, and, and what you realize is no, 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 no. That doesn't mean every moment of your life needs to be epic. That means that every moment of your life is caught up in a grand epic story. Mm. And, and so instead of, again, trying to live this out in our micro narratives, we get to say, actually, I, I fit a grand narrative. So my Friday can just be a Friday. My, my, you know, it's okay. But in every moment, I'm, there's somehow that I'm being caught up in this uh, mm. mission of God in the yes, world. Yes. And, and so on the one hand, it takes the pressure off. But on the other hand, it gives us a new set of lenses to, to go through our mm. day, you know. So yeah. I, 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 my best days are when I remember to start out by praying through my calendar and to say, mm -hmm. okay, Jesus, I've got, you know, this, this appointment today, this yeah. meeting today. Lord, help me to, to be aware. Um, I'll, I'll never forget Eugene Peterson in one of his books talks about 
um, the phrase the, the risen Christ is uh, Christ is risen and he's gone ahead to meet you, you know, somewhere. Uh-huh. And so Eugene would put that in for all of his pastoral appointments, you know, Christ is risen and he has gone ahead to meet you with Bob today at two o'clock. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That reminds me of the GK Chesterton quote where a newspaper reporter asked him, what would you, what would you say? What would you tell me if I told you that uh, the risen Christ was standing behind you? And he said, well, he is. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise right. me in the slightest. Right, right. Actually, that's what I believe. Yeah. yeah, no, that's great. And so this givenness, it, it isn't just a, it's not just a given um, yeah. in the sense that it's, it's not just like, oh, okay, well, great. My whole life is uh, just caught up in God. And so just go for it, you know? Yeah. But yeah. there is this call to learn how to attend to it, to yes. pay attention to how, you know, my meeting with Bob at two o'clock <laughs> Like how how is that yeah. caught up you know in this grander story, and how how can I learn how to pay attention to what God is doing in and around me? It's a big part yeah. of our training. It is basically like the beginning part of it is just to stop and pay attention yeah. to yeah. to the ordinary everyday moments of my life, and we start to discern how God is present and at work there, and then how we can then offer our bodies to that mercy, right, that, that, has, that has come to us through this awareness. And as we do that, we're, we're given then to others and uh, to the world, for yeah. the life of the world. Yeah. Keen listeners of the podcast who've been through our Gravity Leadership Academy mm-hmm. will recognize that Glenn is writing about all the stuff we've trained. Yes. we trained. Awesome. This, yes. All yes. the stuff. This book, incidentally, if that is you and you've been trying, I know one of the big struggles for, for um, especially pastors who listen to the podcast, and in that regard, I have one more question for you, Glenn. But um, this book would be a great introduction to like everyday ordinary people to like what you know what you're trying to talk about like mm-hmm. the stuff that you're learning and the stuff that you're um, beginning to live into. Uh, this book would be a great introduction to kind of opening people's imagination yeah. for how how that could take place in their life as well. Yeah. So, and that's my final question for you, Glenn. We'll we'll see if it's the final question. No, this is we're it. having a fun we're having a fun time. <laughs> But uh, but I did want to ask. Um, so how has this affected you as a your pastor? How has this affected you as a pastor? How has having a sacramental worldview, like, are there artifacts about the way that you lead others, quality relationships, the way you lead your church? Yeah, like, is there stuff that you can point to to say, here's the difference it makes uh, in some of these arenas? How I lead, what I do, how I preach, maybe that kind of thing. Well, man, I mean, I think the implications are are numerous. And um, for me personally, I, I think for me personally, um, it takes the weight off of having to be spectacular in and of myself. You know, mm. um, Luke Luke's gospel records three blessed, broken, given stories. And then actually Luke tells a fourth blessed, broken, given story in the book of Acts. And at the end of the book of Acts with Paul on the ship. And, and uh, the, but the first of the blessed, broken, given stories is the feeding of the 5,000. And, and, you know, as much as we reflect on that story, there's just so much there, Mm. but I always think about this of of like, it's, it's Jesus who makes the miracle happen. Mm. And yet he involves his disciples in the distribution of it, you know, which is just so remarkable because if you're going to do multiplication, couldn't you also do distribution? Like, couldn't you just make this land on people's laps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw it out from, you know, (laughs) it would have been really cool looking, you know. Amazing. (laughs) But, but, uh, but, (laughs) but again, that... That encourages me so much as a pastor that yeah I'm I'm kind of involved in the work of distribution but but really the miraculous thing here is Jesus or to flip the metaphor I'm just the bread 
he's the one hmm. who blesses it and breaks it and gives it. And so yeah. for me, it's taken some of the weight off for every Sunday to be a home run sermon, every counseling appointment to be a, a scene from Goodwill Hunting where I create an <laughs> aha. Oh, I'm yeah. weeping in my office. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not your fault. Um, yeah. It's not your fault, yeah. <laughs> um, and every staff meeting to be the most epic CEO moment. So it, it takes yeah. some of that pressure up. But I, I, I also think there is a genera- generative power of metaphor that does its work in people even beyond me. So seven years of hmm. telling people we are blessed, we are broken, we are given the Lord's table, your table, prepare a table. It does its work and you see how people just live that out. And that is the power of a generative metaphor. Um, mm. uh, and a sacramental imagination is the most powerful one of all. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's I- great. So it takes the pressure off, but it also like the part of the power is just proclaiming the reality of it and you trust it. You trust yes. this metaphor. You trust this story. Yes. Yes. I don't have to convince you it's true or make sure you're applying it to your life. I can proclaim this, and the Word of God is going to do what the Word of God does. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I, love, I love, too, Glenn, that you're naming for us the tyranny of living in a non-sacramental world, mm. where, where things are up to you, where you care about things more than God, where the buck stops here. Where you know there's there's the bottom line, and you've got to use whatever means, whatever pull, whatever levers you can, to get, hit the bottom line. It's well, always a good end, right? It's always a kingdom end. Yeah, but life is a, pro- a series of problems to be solved. Yeah, and and people to of- be managed. And I think that uh, they're naming that as a tyranny is freedom for pastors. The other mm, thing yeah. I'm noticing too is that increasingly uh, young people and old people, but a lot of young people are done with the modern secular worldview. Hmm. They're just done hmm. with it. And whether it's, um, you know, there's kind of dabblings in post-modernity that have deconstructed that, or even this um, uh, kind of a ambiguously spiritual kind of milieu that we live in now, hmm. I, I, I just want to say that I think, I think people are starving, cr- like in their created ontology, like in who they are. They need a sac. We need a sacramental way of living, yeah. and yes. we are starving for it. Yeah, yes. And I think, I think, in terms of mission, Glenn, people who don't follow Jesus don't even know how to spell Jesus. If when they encounter someone living in a sacramental way, it turns them on. It turns on their bones. It, it opens them up. I mean, that's exactly what happens in Luke's final blessed, broken, given story in Acts 26 right. when Paul's on the shipwreck. The first time he tries to speak, they tell him to be quiet. The centurion <laughs> takes charge. And and I think that's a, that's a parable of our age where power and prophets actually get the most, the loudest voices, yep. you know, because mm. they don't want to lose their prophets and the power of the centurion stands up and takes charge. And, and uh, the preacher, you know, gets the back seat. But then, <laughs> but then as the storm, go, as the storm gets worse and they finally, it does look like a shipwreck's inevitable. Paul stands up and he, and he speaks of, he speaks of this dream that he's had, which again, we might be tempted to say, aha, supernatural. No, 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 no. It's sacramental. It's yes. God already at work in the midst of this right there in the midst of a storm. God is speaking through an angel to this strange prisoner. What's going on? And, and then Paul tells them that. And then he's, it says, he took bread, he blessed it and he broke it. He gave thanks for it and gave it to them. And actually it's the only other time Luke chooses two different words. This is a bit technical for, for maybe, the, uh, but some of the, some Sometimes for the word blessed, you, Luke uses the word eulogio, you know, like eulogize to give thanks for. Twice he uses the word eucharistio. Once at Passover, 
and the other time on the ship, which Ooh. is so stunning to me because this is not a religious environment. This is not mm. a church service. This no. is a prison ship. And yet what Paul is doing is acting Eucharistically, yes. offering a Christ-centered hospitality, and the result is people's people are left sort of wondering what is really going on, wow. and that I think is something to reflect on for our mission in the world. Yeah. Mm. Maybe and, and speaking as an Anglican, maybe he took the shipwreck and everybody being dunked in the ocean as their baptism. Yep, so then, <laughs> he was good. There's enough. There's enough water here there's that you're all are basically here. baptized. If good. I say the words, right? I think he mumbled them under his breath. Hey, Glenn, we have so much fun when we ch- so much fun when we chat with you. Thanks for spending time with us. Thanks for writing this book. Um, how can people so much, how can people connect with uh, other things you do? Where where can they find you online? I'm fairly active on social media, Twitter and Instagram, uh, probably the most. Um, my handle is the same on both of those at G Pakiam at G P A C K I A M. Website is glennpackham.com. The book is available wherever books are sold. So you know, <laughs> knock yourself out. Wherever books are sold, knock yeah. yourself out. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Glenn, thanks again, man. Yeah. Appreciate talking Thank with you. Thank you so much, Ben and Matt. Thank you guys. Peace. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.